0: Our second reading uh, this morning comes from Matthew chapter 24. I will read verse 36 through 44. This is Jesus speaking. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only, for as were the days of Noah so it will be in the come so it will be so will be the coming of of the son of man for as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away so will be the coming of the son of man Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready... For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you be with us uh, this morning as we dig into your scriptures. Uh, We pray that your Holy Spirit will be present here uh, in this room, illuminate our hearts and minds, uh, and receive our worship. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is the four-week period of preparation running up to Christmas. The word Advent itself just means arrival. So Advent is a preparation for the arrival of Jesus. And during the Advent season, our scripture readings will point both to the first Advent and to the second Advent of Jesus. The first arrival, the first advent of Jesus, we know all about that. That was the Christmas in in Bethlehem. The second advent, the second arrival, the second coming of Jesus, we are still waiting for. In our reading from Matthew chapter 24, we're hearing Jesus talk about the second advent, about his second coming. Those words, of course, have come directly from the lips of our master himself. Now, the church has always believed in two advents. One of the earliest statements of our faith as Christians is the Apostles' Creed. Listen carefully to the Apostles' Creed, and you'll notice two a mention of both advents. Let's say it together. It should appear magically on the screen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So did you catch the two Advents that show up in the Apostles' Creed? Here's the first Advent. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. And this is really basic Christianity, this belief that Jesus of Nazareth was no ordinary human, but that he was literally the Son of God. And his mother, Mary, was a virgin, and she was impregnated by the Holy Ghost. And in this mysterious way, God becomes flesh and he dwells among us. That's the first advent, the first appearance, the first coming of the Christ. Now listen for the second advent. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. He was here once... He arrived on that first Christmas morning, but he will come again and his second coming will be as visible and as fleshly as his first coming. When Christians say that they believe that he shall come to judge the quick and the the dead, they don't mean that he's going to come as some kind of spirit or that he'll come as the church or that, as the Swedenborgians believe, that he'll come as a series of books on a shelf. What we mean by saying he shall come to judge the quick and the dead is that he will come in his resurrected, glorified, human body. The first time he came, he came as a little baby. He came to be a suffering servant. He came to be a sacrifice for us. And the second time he comes, he's going to come as our judge and as our king. And in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples want to know about this return. Jesus, of course, is still with them at that time, there in Matthew 24, but he's already warned them that he's going away and that he'll come back, and so they want to know when this big day is going to be, when he comes back and reveals his full glory, and they understand that his return is going to mark the end of one age and the beginning of another age. The conversation in Matthew begins this way. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, His disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now notice the link between the second coming and the end of the present age. Many of the Old Testament prophets predicted the end of days or the day of the Lord or the latter days or the last day. Various phrases and expressions are used, but the idea is all the same. The world that we live in, this current age, is filled with sin and suffering. It's filled with injustice and unrighteousness. And the day will come when the Lord shows up to settle accounts... And to put things to right. He will bring an end to the current order of things and he will start something new and that will happen on what is called in scripture the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord in the Old Testament prophets always had two sides to it. It always contained both a warning and a promise. The warning are about the judgments that are going to happen on the day of the Lord. Those who are unrighteous, they're going to be judged. They're going to be brought low because of their sins. Our first reading this morning from Isaiah chapter 2 is part of a larger prophecy about the day of the Lord. A little further down in that chapter, beyond what we read, we read these words. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. So that's the warning side of the day of the Lord. That's the warning that God's judgment will come out of the blue, the way the flood came in Noah's day, and sin will be punished. You can find similar warnings in Joel and Amos and Hosea. But married to those dire warnings of judgment and wrath are promises of relief and rescue and redemption. As we read earlier this morning in the first part of Isaiah 2, For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations, and shall decide disputes for many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The well, that's where it ends. There was some more good stuff after that. You can go home and read that a little bit later. This is a promise in scripture of universal peace. We won't need swords anymore. Every sword's going to be converted into a plowshare, or as we might say today, every tank is going to become a tractor. This is what will happen. In what Isaiah calls the latter days, the day that the Lord shows up. Ever since the time of the Babylonian exile, the people of God have been looking forward to this day of the Lord. The day when God steps into history as judge and as king and crushes the head of unrighteous oppressors. And at the same time lifts up and restores the defenseless righteous individuals. The day of the Lord cuts in two directions. If you are opposed to the kingdom of God, if you are proud and puffed up, if you are oppressing the weak, the day of the Lord is bad news for you because you are about to get your comeuppance. But if you embrace God's sovereign rule, if you are humble before the Lord, if you are committed to the defense of widows and orphans and the poor, then the day of the Lord is good news. Because your life will be made secure and justice will reign from east to west. On the Mount of Olives, the disciples of Jesus are asking Jesus about the coming day of the Lord. They know that he is the one. They know that he is the anointed son of God. At the moment, it's almost like he's in disguise. Jesus is still a humble man. He's not rich. He's not powerful. He has no visible armies at his command. And yet the disciples know that he is the one who's going to set all to right and will establish throughout the world and usher in an era of worldwide peace because he has the power. To destroy every evil person and evil plan. The disciples want to know when that great and glorious day of the Lord will come. Imagine a world so perfectly free of evil, so completely filled with justice that you don't need to lock your doors. You don't need weapons or armies. You don't worry If your child is out late at night, you don't even need passwords on your computer accounts. Imagine that kind of world. Because that's the kind of world that the Word of God promises again and again and again. Now let me be very clear about this. The Bible never says that we humans will create that world in which righteousness reigns from east to west. The Bible never says that we, the church, will create this world where righteousness reigns from east to west. What the Bible says is that God himself will usher in this new world, and that he's going to do it on the day of the Lord. That's the promise. And so the disciples who have been with Jesus now for three years and... I've seen him healing people and casting out devils and performing miracles, creating wine out of water, making food seemingly appear out of nowhere, walking on water, even raising the dead. the disciples know Jesus is who he says he is, that he's fully vested with all the power of Almighty God, and the disciples want to know when this wonderful day of the Lord will finally arrive because they know the promises that have been made by the prophets because they know that Jesus is the messiah who will usher, usher in this new age the big question is when how much longer do we have to wait when is the day of the court of the lord coming Jesus has a lot to say in response to the disciples' questions. We didn't read all of his response this morning. You can go home and read the rest of Matthew chapter 24 this afternoon. But at the end of that chapter, he says this. He says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father only. Therefore stay awake. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Jesus is coming again. Next time, he's not going to come as a suffering servant. Next time, he will come as a judge and a king. He will come bearing a sword, which is really good news if you're awake. And it's really bad news if you're asleep. Now let me make a little small side note here about waking and sleeping in this image that we find in Scripture. Because if you miss this thing about waking and sleeping, you're going to miss everything that Jesus said here. In the passage we read, Jesus says, stay awake. Because the coming of the Lord will be like the coming of the flood of Noah. Now, Noah not only built an ark and Noah was also a prophet and Noah preached to the people and he told them to repent and to get right with God. But everyone except for Noah and his immediate family went right on living their ordinary life, eating and drinking and getting married and making money and then the flood came and they're like, whoa, what happened? And they got swept away. Those who were swept away were spiritually... Asleep, they were entirely consumed with fleshly, worldly realities and were oblivious to the way a sleeping person is oblivious to spiritual truths. And those who were saved, on the other hand, were spiritually awake, even though they also managed to live just fine in the fleshly, worldly reality of food and family. Jesus is not saying that we need to become insomniacs and spend our nights watching the sky for his return. What he's saying is we need to be awake to the spiritual reality that God reveals to us in his word. The Apostle Paul uses this same image of waking and sleeping in his letter to the Ephesians. He writes this, Awake, O sleeper, And arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. To use the jargon of today, you might ask yourself, am I spiritually woke? Am I aware of? Am I conscious of? Am I attuned to? Am I alert to? Do I see the spiritual realities that God has revealed in his word or am I only living in the fleshly realm? It's an important question because if I'm not spiritually woke, then I'm doomed. If I'm not awake, then not only am I missing out on this whole other realm of reality the way that a person who is colored blind misses out on colors i'm not only missing out but i'm also doomed doomed like the people in the time of noah who were swept away if i'm not awake to spiritual realities then i'm like the people for whom the day of the lord is a terror rather than a redemption now when we start talking about spiritual things There are some people who think that that's just a bunch of poetry. That that's just, you know, pre-scientific mythology. There are even some people who describe themselves as Christians. People like the theologian Rudolf Bultmann. Who reinterpret biblical language about spirit so that it becomes a metaphor or an allegory about deep human needs or primal emotions. And all of us, whether we realize it or not, have been schooled in this way of thinking by Feuerbach and Marx and Freud. It's just part of the wider culture now. As a culture, we have fallen asleep to the reality of the spiritual realm. And I'm not accusing anyone by saying that. I'm in fact talking about myself, myself in my unwoke days, in my 20s. Before the Holy Spirit woke me up and opened my eyes to what I wasn't able to see before. I was asleep at one point to things of the Spirit. Maybe you are too. If you find yourself this morning thinking, you know, I don't understand what this Spirit talk is all about. Then let me encourage you to entertain the possibility that your view of things might be wrong. As I was wrong. And let me offer you a modern parable that might point you to the richer truth of what is beyond your sight at this moment. Imagine for a moment that you were born on an airplane. You're born inside of a metal tube that flies through the sky. And your flight is not just for a number of hours, but it's for a whole human lifetime. A whole human lifetime inside that metal tube. Your father and mother are in their in their seats next to you. They take care of you. They love you. They teach you to walk and to talk. And the flight attendants bring you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You spend your childhood running up and down the aisles playing games with other children. And as you grow older, one of your childhood playmates begins to change before your eyes. She becomes beautiful in a way that you never noticed before. And because she is fascinating and interesting, you spend more time now with her than with your parents. And in time, you fall in love with her. And your parents and her parents agree that it's time for the two of you to leave the family row. And take seats next to each other for the rest of the flight. On the plane where you were born, your entire world is made up of seats that recline, smooth white ceiling that curves overhead, carpeted aisles that lead to other seats and bathrooms, and snacks and meals that come on schedule. It's a beautiful world, really. It has everything that you need. It's very comfortable. But there are two things that are strange about this otherwise perfect world. In the wall of the plane, next to the seats that are farthest from the aisle, there's a piece of plastic that you can slide up. And it reveals a piece of glass. And when you look at that piece of glass, you see strange things that make no sense. Strange things that don't look like anything inside of a plane. Inside of your world. Sometimes there's darkness there, but twinkling lights and lines of lights and clusters of lights always moving. Sometimes there is a flood of brightness and a pattern of colors that make no sense. Green squares, snakes of blue, everything moving, it seems, from one side of the glass to the other. Most people in the plane keep the plastic shield pulled down because what one sees in the glass seems to have no connection to the world of reclining seats and flight attendants who bring snacks. It's just a pattern of colors. After time, you learn to leave the plastic shield down yourself and to focus on the things that matter, on what's happening inside of the plane, on what people are saying, on where they're sitting, on whether or not I can get into first class. And then one night, as you're drifting off to sleep, you hear a voice. And it sounds like a man's voice, but you see no man. And the voice says something very strange. The voice says, our plane has begun its descent and we will soon land at the celestial reception hall of King Jesus. From there, passengers will proceed to their final destination, either New Jerusalem or outer darkness. What could that possibly mean? The only world that you've known has been inside the plane. What does it mean to leave a plane? What possible destination could there be outside of the plane? While we spend time inside the plane of our lives, there are revelations from beyond the plane. We see them in the windows that give glimpses to the external spiritual reality. We hear them in voices from the pages of Scripture Outside of the metal tube of our world, outside of the plane, there is a larger reality going on, a spiritual reality. Natural scientists who are concerned with physical reality, with the reality inside the plane, haven't even managed to plumb the full depths of that reality. But that enormous, complex, and gorgeous reality is entirely swallowed up by something vastly larger. Never forget that God made this beautiful world by just working for six days. And he has an infinite number of days available to him. God has given us glimpses of the larger vastness, the spiritual reality that is outside of this world. One day we will come to an end of the flight. One day we're going to step off the plane. And we will step into a world that is unimaginably bigger than we ever realized it could be. And when we step into that world, we will wonder why we were so concerned about our reclining seats and the aisles and the luggage compartment and the peanuts that were brought to us by the flight attendants. This world is not all that there is. We are in the belly of something much bigger than we can possibly know. God gives us glimpses of that larger world. God tells us everything that we need to know to be prepared for when the time comes to step into that bigger world. And if we're awake, we will spend eternity with God in the wide open spaces of New Jerusalem. But if we're asleep... We will be forever lost in outer darkness. Jesus said, two men will be in the field. One will be taken. And one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. For you don't know when the Lord is coming. One will be taken and one will be left. That's Jesus' description of what will happen on the day when He appears the second time. Those who are awake will be with Christ and those who are asleep will be lost. So let me ask you on this first Sunday of Advent this season when we especially prepare for the coming of Christmas and for the second coming of Christ, are you awake? Are you awake to the spiritual reality that's larger than the confines of this plane that we live in, in this earthly life? Or are you still asleep thinking there's no reality beyond reclining seats and bags of pretzels? The Bible says that God has written eternity into the heart of every person. And so I believe that every person has some hint That this world is not the whole story. But I also know from my own experience that it is possible, it is possible to willfully close your mind to that larger reality. It is possible to pull down the shade. Because when you look out that shade, when you look out the window, it shakes up the reality as you know it. Because when you look out the window, it demands that you live in a different way, in a way that is a, a preparation for the coming of the day of the Lord a day when we will meet face-to-face the one who's created us. Again and again in his preaching, Jesus made crystal clear that we all come to the end of our flight eventually, and that there are only two possible outcomes. One is eternal bliss by being taken into the presence of God, and the other is eternal loss by being shut out from God forever. If you have never made a conscious choice to follow Christ, to say out loud that He is everything He said He was, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Alpha and the Omega, the Word of God who spoke this beautiful world into being. If you've never professed faith in Christ, and said, yes, I will follow Christ and obey His commands, then I encourage you to do that today. You don't have to understand everything about God. You never will. You don't have to understand everything that you glimpse out of the window of the plane of this life. You can choose to follow Christ today with what little you know right now. It's enough. What's required is not complete knowledge of God, what's required is complete trust in God. Trust God today. Take him at his word. Some part of you already knows the truth, so grab hold of that truth today. Hear the words of Jesus. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not Expect. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we honor you and we bless your name and we thank you that you give us glimpses of the larger world outside of this beautiful world where we live now. We pray that we would be prepared to meet you, that we would find room in our hearts for Christ and that we would be awake to the spiritual realities that you have revealed in the pages of scripture. That's our prayer this day. In Jesus' name, amen.